My name is Zach Como, and you're listening to the My Tech Decisions Podcast. Thanks for coming back for another episode of the My Tech Dishes podcast. Like I said, my name is Zach, and I'm your host. Today's episode is about President Biden's executive order on cybersecurity and what IT pros should take away from it. In case you missed it, Biden's executive order was in response to recent large-scale nation-state attacks, like the compromise of IT management software from SolarWinds and the ransomware attack that took Colonial Pipeline offline for several days. The order seeks to modernize the federal government's cybersecurity and implement IT security concepts like zero trust and multi-factor authentication. To tell us why this matters to IT pros everywhere is Um Milchandani, co-founder, chief technology officer, and chief information security officer at Acurix, a cloud cyber resilience company. Before we get to the interview, just a quick reminder to download and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes to hear weekly interviews and expert advice from IT professionals. And now, here's Om. All right, Om, thanks very much for uh, joining me. I, I appreciate it. Um, just so you know, I'm recording from my notes, and um, I also sure. run an IT podcast, so there's a possibility that I will use this in a podcast as well. It's uh, sure. in the, the same brand, uh, Tech Decisions. Um, Absolutely. Great, beautiful. Yes, so the um, executive order on cybersecurity, um, well, you know, what, what did you think about it? Do you think it, it, it went far enough? Um, I know a lot of it was aimed at just kind of modernizing um, mm-hmm. how the IT, you know, IT security folks in the, you know, on the federal government level um, you know, uh, operate. Um, you know, what, do you, what, what do you think about it? Um, you know, um, after reading the entire order, you know, uh, definitely, we as part of the community, you know, uh, cyber community, we were hoping that there will be uh, initiatives and there will be directions that um, we're going to see in this EO related to everything that you know came through us, you know, after the solar wind incident. Uh, but I guess um, there was a lot of afterthought also that went into maybe a couple of days before the EO was scheduled to come out, um, you know, reflecting some of the, you know, changes uh, after the pipeline cyber attack that, you know, industry has experienced and also the government has experienced. And we can clearly see that this executive order focuses on, you know, not just one single industry challenge, which is uh, majorly your supply chain security challenge, which emerged out of SolarWind, but it also focuses on OT security challenges as well, the operational technology, which is the right. gist of critical. Right, right. Um, and do you, you know, so what did you, um, you know, as an as a IT security professional, what did you um, like about it? Do you think, mm-hmm. do you think it, it went far enough? I think uh, they are, you know, moving in the right direction. However, I do see there is going to be a lot of uh, 
you know, uh, there will be a lot of challenges that the organizations and uh, companies will will have to face to implement some of these, right. uh, you know, initiatives. For example, um, in the critical infrastructure space, uh, uh, there has been a very strict cyber compliance standard enforced by um, a organization called as uh, FERC, F-E-R-C. Uh, they have a cybersecurity standard called as NERC-CIP, N-E-R-C-C-I-P. Um, CIP stands for Critical Infrastructure Protection. NERC is a, uh, is a body under Federal Electricity Regulation Corporation. Right. So they have, for several years, had this uh, very strict cybersecurity um, standard, NERC-CIP, which needed um, uh, you know, reporting of any cyber incident to happen within 24 hours of initial detection. But it was strictly limited to only critical infrastructure uh, providers such as electricity generation, distribution, and uh, other critical infrastructure entities. But what I'm seeing in this executive order now is that uh, you know government wants to extend that level of uh, strict cybersecurity standards into cloud as well as in IT space, the information technology space. As I said, NOXIP was strictly for OT service providers, but now the government, if you read through the EO, it says that they want to enforce incident reporting to happen, uh, not, uh, not to exceed three days after the initial detection, right. which is going to be a serious, serious uh, comms challenge for the you know, civilian industry as well as uh, for the corporate and enterprise world. Mm. But isn't, so, you know, this, uh, I am by no means a cybersecurity expert, you know, I write about this stuff all the time. But from what, you know, a lot of um, cybersecurity guys have told me that uh, one of the big reasons um, cyber criminals are always kind of a few steps ahead of us is because they're a lot better at sharing information than we are. Yes. We don't, we don't like to tell people when we're hacked because it's, you know, not good for the for the stock price when I'm, you know, make our shareholders mad. Um, and we just don't like that, that negative press. Um, and I know this, this seeks to kind of remove some of those barriers. I know it's uh, mainly, you know, for, for uh, organizations, organizations that contract with federal, the federal government. Um, but yeah. I think it's, it's, it's moving in the right direction, though. It is moving in the right direction. Look, the intent is very, very good. However, um, you know, I've been speaking to a lot of peers. You know, there is a kind of uh, a little bit of apprehension also in the industry. Look they haven't included any incentives for the corporate world to kind of, you know, start following up on these practices, uh, especially you see if somebody has, to, if, if a large organization take, for example, capital one breach that happened, it took several days for them to come out and open that. Yes, we were breached. Right. If they were to do this uh, information release within three days, they'll have to stand up a full comms team, full, incident response, product incident response, corporate incident response teams, which means that there is a lot of expense. And, and if I think the government sooner or later, and as the second part of the EO anyways mentions that within 180 days, uh, you know, of the date of the EO, um, there is going to be more uh, regulations that, you know, each state are going to come out of with. Uh, and I think I will not be surprised if the states will start incentivizing businesses uh, to adopt these, uh, you know, strict uh, cyber practices that EO is suggesting. 
So you, so you, you think this could trickle down to the private sector? It will have to be because, um, you know, uh, it, it's not going to just remain. I mean, the whole purpose of removing the contractual barriers, right, uh, which initially it's only limited to the federal acquisition regulation and only to federal systems. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the corporate and the, the civil businesses are going to uh, rely upon these uh, directives and these directions because you see that a lot of ancillary providers to the federal you know, agencies and federal systems, which comes from the uh, you know, civilian uh, space. So you know, these uh, guidances are going to go into that uh, area as well, especially in supply chain. So if you've noticed, the EO says that um, you know, at some point, maybe this year or later next year, the federal agencies are not going to work with any hardware or software providers who will not pass through a a, a strict standard on the supply chain security. Mm. That means that even if you want to sell a router to any federal agency, uh, say Netgear wants to sell a router to a federal agency, they'll have to disclose every chip that they have used in uh, in their device, and they'll have to disclose the source uh, of uh, you know from where they have sourced it and have they audited. They'll have to attest it. So attesting to the conformity with secure software development practices. So these elements are going to lead up to a lot of new, I would say, a uh, lot of new business opportunities. It's going to drive a lot of cyber economy within, uh, I would say, you know, industry yes. and businesses. Yes, 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 for sure. I'm sure um, a, lot, a lot of the uh, stock prices of some of these publicly traded cyber companies are going to shoot through the roof. Um, <laughs> So it also talks a lot about zero trust and things like multi-factor, which I think are kind of low-hanging fruit and things that uh, yeah. most, hopefully most IT departments are at least thinking about doing. Um, you know, yeah. how, how much should your run-of-the-mill IT department take away from this in terms of, of applying uh, these right. standards to, you know, their, their own company? You know what, um, this EO has had really, really, uh, I would say a prolific impact on the industry. I'll give you some examples. So zero trust has been spoken about since a few years now, but right after this EO, of course, you know, these are also marketing events, but every major cybersecurity provider and also every major industry body has already come out with their white papers. So for example, the entire cloud industry today uh, uses uh, open source technologies that are governed by an industry body called as CNCF, Cloud Native Computing Foundation. It's a kind of a large uh, not-for-profit industry body which governs a lot of open source technologies. They've come out, uh, responding to this EO, they've come out with their full white paper a couple of days ago on how to implement zero trust in cloud architectures, in cloud native architectures. And all the large, you know, Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies, you know, they are on cloud native architectures today. So this tells me that industry has taken this EO so seriously that now the time is appropriate where, you know, everybody wants to adopt a zero trust architecture. And yeah, from the federal point of view, uh, the EO has already stated that within 180 days, you know, uh, agencies will have to adopt multi-factor authentication and encryption for 
transparent encryption for data at rest and in transit, that means that that means that uh, you know uh, it will not be possible to do business with uh, agencies unless you really really have products attesting to these uh, strict standards. So this is going to drive uh, a lot of. Uh, I think we are back to somewhere around 2001, two and three. If you remember the Patriot Act, which had come out at that time, which yeah. drew and the you know the Sarbanes Hawksley, this is that kind of uh, moment for us. You know, it's going to drive yeah. a lot of security and compliance in the in the industry now. Wow, yeah, that's um, that's that's quite the statement. So, do you think um, you know we finally? I know we like to throw around uh, you know the term wake up call whenever there's there's some kind of um, you know a uh, uh, big uh, big uh, compromise. So, like I think you know. The solar winds uh, compromise, I think, did that for a lot of people. Um, and I'm, you know, this came what now five months after the solar winds uh, compromise was disclosed. Yep. Um, so it's not clear if this is a response to just solar winds or, you know, um, uh, Microsoft Exchange, the, the pipeline. Um, yeah. Well, uh, you know, there's no doubt that uh, this was being in the, the, this EO was under the draft uh, after the solar winds incident. A uh, lot of uh, different uh, stakeholders in the cyber uh, you know, uh, discipline within the federal agencies were working on this. There's no doubt about that. But as I said, there are some last minute changes that have been made. Some 11th hour changes have been made. Right. One very critical element that has been included, which has happened for the first time in any kind of cyber executive orders that I have seen, is the inclusion of the cyber safety factor. So it means that the government agencies clearly now identify cybersecurity as table stake. And they not only just talk about, you know, your traditional security principles, which is protecting confidentiality, integrity, availability, right? Your typical technology security, they are talking about safety for the first time. And safety has been a principle. So, you know, in, um, in the regular cybersecurity discipline, three pillars are confidentiality, integrity, and availability. You have to protect them. But in the critical infrastructure, there, there is a fourth pillar called as safety, right? If a pipeline blows up, it's a safety issue, not just a technology issue. So, the EO clearly says that, you know, uh, the cyber, cyber safety review board has to be established mm. and the board, the board is going to have the duties to, to review and assess the significant cyber incidents that are going to affect the um, FCEB, which is federal information systems and including non-federal systems for uh, threats and uh, vulnerabilities and including safety responses. That's a huge step. You know, that, that means, the government is at a level now where they have clear understanding of the fact that any nation state attacking or launching a cyber attack is a direct threat to the safety of the people of America. That is, that is an admission that they have made in this executive order. Right, right. Yeah, very true. And um, I'm just reading the White House fact sheet now under um, the Cybersecurity Safety Review Board, they say it's modeled after the National Transportation Safety Board which is, uh, you know, the board that, um, you know, pretty much uh, pieces together what happened after, like, like a plane crash or, or some yep. other kind of uh, yep. presentations. Yep. 
And, and that's why I said this is like post 9-11 kind of, uh, um, you know, response. I mean, it's not that level of response, but, um, and I'll tell you why this happened. Because, you know, solar winds caused a lot of penetration into the agency data. Like several agencies have been compromised. Today, we don't even know the full uh, breadth of the impact of solar winds. But uh, if the so-called malicious actors, uh, you know, which are termed as non-state actors, let's say. I mean, I don't know how they are non-state, but yeah, that's what the threat intelligence community calls them. If these actors now have access to critical data of several of the government agencies, we are at a brink of a information warfare, which we have never imagined before. Right, right. Um, I think that does it for the specific uh, questions I had. Um, Now, how how closely should, um, you know, like a run-of-the-mill, you know, IT guy uh, be paying attention to um, these executive orders being handed down from the federal government. Right. So, so see, there are two things, at least, uh, you know, that have, there has to be a takeaway out of this EO for the -the run-of-the-mill IT guy, right? So this is, again, the first time that a executive order is going into real technical terms, Mm -hmm. right? One term that has been used is your, you know, DevSecOps or your your development uh, secure securely secure development standards. That means what this order is telling the common IT people is that make sure when you are developing your IT infrastructure, including your IT assets, whether it is hardware or software, at the time of development, pay most attention to detect your security problems because that's where the cost of remediation is extremely low. So that's one message that the CEO is clearly giving. That means we will see now IT companies adopting more and more of uh, something which is called in industry a shift left security, which means that do security early in the development life cycle. Do not wait for your systems to come up and your runtimes to be built and your cloud environments to be set up. And, and then later on you do security as afterthought. No, security cannot be an afterthought. That's one clear message. And second takeaway, you know, for the common IT person is the fact that it clearly says focus hundred percent on detection, 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 because unless you can detect, you cannot respond. So, you know, these are two very simple outcomes that are, that are, that are being reflected in this EO, uh, which, you know, as I said, the industry is very happy, surprised as well, that a EO can go to such an, you know, technical extent. But they've, they've really done good job this time by talking the language that, techni- that technology people understand. Right, right. Yeah, and that's... that's um... You know, I'm sure you've seen some of the congressional hearings lately, and in some of the questions that they ask, um, especially for, you know for the uh, Senate hearing for the Solar Act, um, some of the questions that that senators were asking were really, um, you know, like the iPhone question, like the iPhone question that they asked to uh, the Google's CEO. <laughs> oh goodness! Yes, <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, it's, it's, it's tough out there for uh, some of those senators. Um, so, yeah, and I think, um, 
I mean, it was kind of shocking to see that, you know, multi-factor wasn't already a standard across the federal government. It, it was, you know, but it depends, you know, the federal government has so much of red taping, so much of, uh, so many layers, right, even in compliance. So, you know, for the FedRAMP, you know, the, the, the favorite uh, 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 cybersecurity standard of federal agencies, FedRAMP, right? So for the FedRAMP high, it was always there, right? Which is also called as ITAR, right? And for the FedRAMP medium and low, right? These are the uh, severity and, and business criticality levels. So, you know, for example, if um, anybody who was using um, say uh, AWS or an Azure GovCloud environment, which is FedRAMP high compliant, you would have to do multi-factor authentication immediately. Mm -hmm. So what EO is saying is this is irrespective of what the level of uh, you know criticality is for your assets. Mm -hmm. Everyone has to have multi-factor authentication in 180 days. And I don't know how they're going to do that, but they'll have to. Um, especially in, in response to certain ones, I've seen this concept floated a bunch about um, a software bill of materials. How yeah. how realistic do you think that is? Uh, so, well, to be very honest with you, the industry is still maturing in terms of the technologies which are needed to implement this. Mm. Uh, I'll give you an example. Well, um, yes, all the federal agencies you know, are attempting to upgrade themselves to latest cloud native technologies. And one of the technology that is in the heart of cloud native is containers, right? Mm -hmm. They're not there yet. It's gonna take a lot of time. If everybody was using containers in the whole world today, yes, doing uh, supply chain security with the help of software composition analysis and bill of material scanning is possible because container is a technology uh, is a packaged technology easier to determine what is the entire bill of material of a container image. But that's not the case. We have so many legacy systems. We have multiple years of tech debt, especially in federal space as well, right? And not everybody's using containers. They are just starting off. Cloud native technologies are built for immutability, built with bill of material technologies built into it. But every other technology, like packaging an application on a virtual machine, or on a virtual server, or on a real hardware, right? Doing bill of material? Well, industry hasn't managed to do bill of material-based uh, assessments in last three decades. Like, we, we could not crack that problem. You know, uh, government has a, a dedicated, uh, you know, agency called as MITRE, uh, which does these uh, security standards, which were built in last two decades, to determine the bill of material of a server, which is uh, which is called as a CP. I'm, I'm going a little bit technical, so kind of ignore that. That's but you know, there is a technology called a CPE, which is from MITRE, which allows you to detect a bill of material for any given server. The technology was released in 2006 and seven. Industry could not develop a perfect product that could use that, you know. But, but as I said, it's possible to do that in cloud native world, but that adopt, we are at least 18 to 24 months away, especially in federal space, to have the adoption going for cloud native technologies, which is where it is possible to do the supply chain security detections and 
secure software development practices because those technologies have been built from ground up, keeping those problems in mind. Right. Great. Uh, well, last question. Uh, it's not about the executive order at all, but um, you know, I was, I'm not sure how much you read, um, you know, uh, IT or security related, uh, you know, what, uh, news organizations. What you know, what what are some uh, IT or cybersecurity stories that are not being told that you think need to be told? What's why you guys need to know? <laughs> so. Um, so I'll keep a little generic. You'll be surprised to know that um, in last uh, seven to eight years, a lot of different thought leaders in the industry have been talking about a strategy uh, in cybersecurity, which uh, can yield a lot of good results in terms of uh, strengthening cybersecurity resiliency for any type of infrastructure. And that strategy is called as threat modeling. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of uh, you know uh, industry leaders, you know, um, uh, who are talking about you know this strategy since several years now, have uh, have been uh, you know promoting this. So uh, if I were to just you know name a couple of them, right? So uh, not sure if you've heard of uh, this company. Uh, you know, Dragos, uh, the CEO, CEO of Dragos is Rob Lee. He's ex-federal, uh, kind of big name in the threat intelligence and threat modeling space, right? And it's a low-cost uh, strategy. It a lot of results. Industry leaders are tired of talking about this, but you wouldn't believe it. Um, our surveys, I'm part of a lot of CISO organizations. Uh, and CISO groups, uh, our survey is telling us that 80% of the industry is still not doing this low-hanging uh, fruit-based strategy, which is very cost-effective to detect what your threats could be, and then you design your security accordingly. These are some of the things that have to surface uh, so that, because everybody talks about threat intelligence, threat modeling, unfortunately, in practice, very few organizations are implementing or even doing it right. and that's why you see that organizations are not ready for the attacks that they are supposed to be facing hmm. they're not ready for interesting yeah that's a, that's a good way of looking at it yeah so they're just kind of um you know deploy deploying what everyone tells them they should deploy without actually looking to see if it's catching the particular threats uh, facing X organization. Is that essentially what you're saying? Yeah, so there's there's a lot of information available now to do threat modeling. You know, threat modeling allows you to uh, look into your technology stack as an organization and then see who are the, you know, threat groups, attacker groups out there who attack such technologies. And then you anticipate that, okay, you can be one of the victims for these threat groups. Mm. Uh, is running a very good project to provide this information to the industry. Uh, they call it MITRE Attack Framework, right? Um, any organization who does threat modeling can, with very limited uh, expense, can, can create a map of what are the potential threats that can come after us. And that's where you can start designing your security controls. Right. That, your security does not start 
by buying security products. Your security starts by identifying who are the possible threat actors who can who can attack you and what are their capabilities. Right. Based on that, you design security. Mm. That makes you, yeah, and that makes you super efficient when it comes to security. So you're not spending needlessly on 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 yep. the solutions that you probably won't need. Gotcha. That makes yeah, makes a lot of sense. That's also called as risk-based approach, but you know, in practice. Very few organizations, you know, actually do that. Day zero, CISOs, when they join a new job, they'll just straight away go ahead. Okay, let's do NIST CSF, cybersecurity framework. Let's, let me see what products I have for identity access, you know, detection, protection, recovery. And then the, you know, job, the CISOs think that, okay, I am compliant to this, so I'm secure. No, compliance does not mean security. Of course, compliance does help you in security. Mm. But security is to protect yourself against the real threats that you that you could face right um a few a few uh, weeks ago i wrote about um <laughs> how guys like you actually get any sleep at night it seems like i would i would just be up all night thinking about what's going to happen um <laughs> you know who's going who's to hack my company um how yeah how uh, <laughs> how do you feel these days yeah Look, um, you know, once you gain a lot of experience as CISO, like this is my 17th year in the industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've held CISO positions at large organizations in my past. Um, you have to make it part of your lifestyle. This is a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So now I've learned how to sleep. Uh, the best way to deal with this uh, phenomena is that you do your best. And, uh, and then, you know, take care of your uh, work-life balance and take care of your health because, you know, if you don't sleep, you cannot do anything anyways. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it, it comes with time. It doesn't come in the first three years of your job as a CISO. As you know, uh, a CISO average shelf life is 18 months. Oh. So uh, you got to practice this. You're going to, you know, you, you need to know your limits and work accordingly and, and then continuously improve. You know, there's no way. Someday, every, every CISO is bound to get hacked one day, yeah. right? That, that's given. But you got to make it as late as you can. You need to do things which, so that you can punt it on the other CISO who's going to come after your tenure is over. <laughs> right, right, there you go. All right, so it's a good, good place to end it. Uh, oh, thanks very much. I appreciate your time. No worries. Thank you so much, Zach. See you. Right, thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the My Tech Decisions podcast, where it's our mission to help you make technology decisions for your company. If you would like to learn more, head to mytechdecisions.com or follow us on Twitter at mytechdecisions. You can also follow me on Twitter at ZWComo. Until next time.